Welcome everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ben Speaks. It's been a couple days since the last time you've had to tolerate me. And that's because in 2020, there's nearly nothing to talk about. In all honesty, though, uh, I'm still finding my voice here and I just don't want to be everybody else's voice. I have too much respect for too many uh, voices that are out there that, that do a very fine job of handling the news of the day. Uh, and I'm, I'm very fearful of being considered what, uh, what Mark Levin would call a backbencher. So I had to really give some thought as to what it is I wanted to talk about and whether or not it has any real bearing on, on today and, and, and the people that uh, care to listen to this show. So I really had this pretty good idea that was kicking around in my head. And, and the, the, the problem with my idea that I initially had was it went from kind of being a, a history lesson, if you will, to a total mess of a dissertation that would have taken hours and a whiteboard and um, possibly some serious uh, um, pyrotechnics to really do justice to uh, to what it is I wanted to say. So I've decided to try to slim it down, and that took me uh, about 45 minutes to figure out that um, I had some real work to do to edit this. So, you know, I, I hope I do this justice. I'm going to do the very best I can. But, um, you know, we live in such an awesome country, and, and so many people just take a big steaming pile of dookie right on this country and they just it's very unflattering to all the men and women who've come before us that have continued to strive to make what our founders created great Uh, we have plenty of people who tend to usurp everything great about this country and our bill of rights but i i want to i want to i want to focus on uh things that can only happen in america uh uh, more, most specifically, you know, this, this country and all of its greatness and freedom, we have a double-edged sword with our Bill of Rights. The, the, the most outstanding of which is uh, the First Amendment. Okay, Our founders did a fine job to make sure that a king and a dictator <clears throat> could never squash our voice. Well, the backside of that is... There's a lot of tongue-shaving, crayon-chewing, you know, leftist mongoloids out there that have historically just been a, an anchor on this country and have continued to try to drag it down, drag it out of republicanism, and drag it to the depths of uh, autocracy. But But they're doing it in the name of freedom because... You know, irony has no effect on these people. They must be on a steady diet of anti-irony pills or maybe it's a liquid medication because I'm sure pills probably uh, makes their gag reflex overreact. But uh, uh, so so I want to I want to kind of want to kind of give a brief history of the 20th century and 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 how the left has infiltrated from Europe and 
has done a, a, a spectacular job of making uh, an, an excellent argument that we, in fact, did not win the Cold War. You know, it's, it's, it's sick because this, this war that we fought, that, you know, we, we did a bunch of proxy wars around the globe that, you know, well, the greatest of them all was uh, Vietnam because that was probably the worst of them all. And, uh, you know, thanks, Lyndon Bain Johnson. And, and, and there's no irony that, um, you know, they hung that albatross on Nixon. And Nixon could have won that war if he had the backing of the Congress. But, you know, Johnson and uh, Kennedy did a fine job of making that war happen. And the folks on the right got to, got to wear it uh, slung around their neck in the form of an albatross. So... So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip forward uh, to the late 60s. And, uh, and I implore any of you to sort of do some of your own individual research on these groups. Uh, if you were born in the 50s uh, or the 40s, or, or if you were just sort of aware of political science in the 60s and 70s, which I know many of you were not, you probably don't know much about um, the SDS or the Students for Democratic Socialism or the Weather Underground. The Weather Underground were um, a bunch of heretics that uh, were once called the Weathermen. Um, I think they took that from a Bob Dylan song or something stupid. But um, uh, Tom Hayden uh, was the founder of the Weather Underground and, I'm sorry, of the Students, the SDS movement. Okay, and um, you know he was going to uh, rile up the, uh, the 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 free thinkers in universities everywhere, and um, you know he was going to free us from the shackles of capitalism and republicanism. It's um, a little bit of irony, though, is that if you study Tom Hayden close enough, you'll you'll see a couple of uh, pieces of his history that are somewhat amusing, but also just shame on America for even applauding any of this nonsense. So uh, one of those things is um, there was a, there was a big convention in uh, UC Berkeley in the sixties, late sixties, I think. And uh, they had the, uh, the communist party of America uh, I think they had something they wanted to push called the McCarthy fuckery or something like that. And then they had, um, they had the SDS was there and they, they were like the, the headliners, you know. Uh, and then as a token, you know, they had the Black Panthers there too. Basically, all of these groups share pretty much the same ideology. Now they, 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 aren't real, real interested in hearing what you have to say. But it, it's kind of like uh, the opposite of Burger King. You know, um, at Burger King, you can get it your way right away. And it's like, they're like, uh, their way, never. Thank God, right? Thank God. So the SDS, they were responsible for riling up college kids and um, screwing a generation worth of halfway decent uh minds into thinking that somehow communism was um, groovy, man. And um, Tom Hayden, one of the funny things about him, though, is um, 
during during his time, uh, you know, being a, a terrorist, he uh, he met uh, Bernadine Dorn, okay, and and they kind of teamed up. And uh, if you skip kind of forward in history, Bernadine Dorn really does uh, does sort of play a big role in uh, well, the the prophet Obama. Right, her and her uh, husband Bill Ayers. Um, you know, all, all these people that I've just mentioned, they either went to Columbia University, they taught at Columbia University, or in Tom Hayden's case, I think he became a senator. No, mayor. Oh, he became a statesman of sorts in Chicago. Chicago. Obama was a senator in Chicago for like two years before he became the most powerful man on the planet. He hung out with Bernadine Doran and, and Bill Ayers in Chicago. Right. So we're going to move right along. <clears throat> so uh, just brushing real quickly on uh, the Black Panthers. I, I, I have friends that uh, may be tempted to... Uh, view the Black Panthers as some sort of like a Second Amendment group that, you know, were really, you know, uh, power to the people, you know, stuff like that. Um, you got to dig deeper than the scab on your forearm for this one. They were just as much Marxist as any of these other groups, the SDS and the Weather Underground. So only in America can you have Something as wonderful as the First Amendment and the product that we get is for these leftists. It's always leftists. It's always leftists that will pervert that particular right, shove it in your face constantly because God knows 18-year-olds know best. And life has treated them so unfairly because going to UC Berkeley, that's kind of like, you know, getting your degree at McDonald's on the south side of Chicago. Right? Right. So these kids, they know best. That's, that's kind of going to be a common thread throughout everything that I really have to say. So, so the Weather Underground SDS, they were uh, involved in more than just... M- protesting and having cool conventions with no air conditioning and and just being just miscreants they're malcontents you know somehow along the way somebody touched them and they didn't invent that uh thing yet where the sheriff asks well, where on the doll did they touch you i guess i'm, I'm just throwing darts here so these people became terrorists you know bernardine Dorn, she got off light Right. She um, she went on the lamb until 1980 and she got off on some misdemeanor uh, charges for. I don't know. I, I actually forgot and I don't have that in front of me. But, um, uh, you know, the SDS and Weather Underground there, they were known for, you know, bombing federal buildings, you know, like the Capitol, you know, 
bomb threats. I think there was a, there was an incident um, in the late '60s in Manhattan. Uh, I think it was like two or three do- doors down from uh, Dustin Hoffman's townhouse, historic townhouse. I want to say it was Tom Hayden's kids, They're his his little fan club. See, they were bomb makers. That's mostly peaceful. Last time I checked in today's America, but they were bomb makers, and one accidentally blew the whole friggin' building to smithereens. And somehow that punk survived. I think a couple of them got got what was coming to them, but uh, they didn't do it right. But uh, the Weather Underground, a little bit better at it. I, I think they. Uh, they managed to successfully bomb the Senate cafeteria and bathroom and stuff like that. Um, and then there were quite a few other bomb threats. Anyways, you know, real, you know, peaceful action towards, you know, revolutionary change is what it's all about. Um, innocent people being put into the line of terror um, because, uh, well, peace and communism okay so enough of that what i really want to get to is is how these movements sort of evolved and maybe there isn't a real chronology that that it, it kind of skips around and it it's a little loose because basically what what, what happens is is when these when these uh these cats get older and they can't, you know, get out there and make bombs and stuff anymore, or they're in prison or whatever. People are still reading their garbage. And Bill Ayers is probably one of the worst. And so you get uh, a real sympathy for the devil. You get uh, these kids that, with heads full of mush and they're taught in these universities because that's where they basically go to pasture these these um, radical uh, extremists in this country. We don't tend to put them in jail, which is weird. I'm sure if they were far right-wing extremists, you know, oh, and white, um, far right-wing white extremists, I'm sure they would be in the bottom of a a hole somewhere for the rest of their life. But, um, you know, I guess they haven't caught any live ones yet honestly. So these guys, they go into the university systems and, um, and they start preaching the, uh, ideologies of Hegel, Marx, Lenin, Stalin. Okay. So that's, that's what we got going on in America up until about, and we'll just stop at, um, right around the early seventies. So going in the way back machine, um, in the 1940s, as the uh, not Nazi political party was gaining power in Germany, you know, I've said this before. These these things they don't they don't happen overnight. Okay, they they fester like any good wound. They fester, and um, if 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 the locals don't fight back, then then they try to. They try to assuage and, and kind of, you know, acquiesce. And uh, so in, in Germany in the 40s, arose a group, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, but 
by and large, it's it's known as Antifa, right? Uh, now, there's some there's some real gaps in wisdom in their whole approach to what they were actually fighting for. But they they did they fought they fought uh, they started out I think they started out actually in um, Italy uh, fighting Mussolini's black shirts. I think uh, they they fancy themselves, you know, a freedom fighting group, which, you know, hey man, I'm all for that. But when your doctrine is just as bad as the doctrine of the people you're fighting, you know, there's some um, there's a conversation that could be had that uh maybe you're just as bad, right? So um the, did you you know the the major the major uh force against Nazism during uh, World War II and before, mostly before World War II, was communism. Like people were so jacked. They were so excited about like, communism. I oh, mean, all the workers were just so excited because, you know, they'll have jobs. You know, they, when you set the bar so low, you, you need a backhoe to limbo over, under it. You, you really should not be the guy in charge of a political ideology, right? So these these um, freedom fighters, these Antifa, they they wanted to shut down uh, German National Socialist Workers Party with democratic. Socialism. Now, you don't need an abacus or a sextant to try to figure this logic out because you're not going to figure this logic out. If you have half a brain and you might be slightly schooled in political science, you can rapidly come to the conclusion that democratic socialism is in the same vein as communism. It's just a, a gussied up word to make it seem like you're still free. Well, as an American, that gives me heartburn, but we'll carry on here. So they, they battle the Nazis, right? And, uh, and they get their tails kicked up between the ears so bad because, well, the Nazis were organized, and I'm not any friend of the Nazis. I'm just trying to tell you where this all started. So the Nazis kicked their ass up between their ears, and and the anti-fascist movement really just really goes into a full communist mode at that point. <clears throat> so they were pleased as punch after the war when, uh, you know, uh, USSR... Was it the USSR? Yeah, it was the USSR then. Uh, they fed East Germany a heaping helping of communism. That's a win for Antifa. But to the rest of the world who has a moniker of enjoyment for liberty and freedom, well, it's going to be awfully hard for us to share that sentiment now, isn't it? Right, so... 
Moving forward, Antifa kind of gets the back page because you know what? The communists didn't put up with their crap. They gulagged them. That'll learn them. But it didn't learn them. There is no intellectualism that goes into this. All right? So, moving forward, Antifa has another resurgency in Germany and in England in the 80s. What were they fighting? They were fighting against not a political party. They were fighting against a resurgence of neo-Nazi sentiment, skinheads. But these weren't parliamentary figures. Because at that point, well, Germany was as free as it ever had been, ever. Thank you, USA. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. So, um, they're fighting against, it's kids fighting kids. And somehow they managed to take themselves seriously. I'm almost certain that since the skinheads were more of a workers union type guys, they pretty much got jobs, had families, and grew their hair out. Found fun at the local pubs and, you know, whore wrangling and whatever they do in Germany. I hear it can get freaky there. And over in England, they were doing something sort of the same thing. I think it was late 70s, early 80s when all this was going down. And, you know, there was a punk rock movement. So, you know, it was kind of hard to tell who was just dressing the part and who was actually trying to be a political retard. And, um, and then they, they evolved a little bit more. And all of a sudden, now they're anti-racist, right? I think because nobody could take them seriously as anti-fascist because pretty much the free world at that point in time was pretty doggone free. England, they got a parliamentary system, but eh, I don't have much love for the Brits. But by and large, it's like America light, very light. I mean, like extremely light. Kind of like the O'Doul's version of America. A little alcohol-free, if you will. Um, you know. You can't have too big of an insurgence there. You can't even have a 22 handgun. So, so they're over there. They're, they're fighting uh, uh, to end racism. Because, um, because in the 80s, you know, there's so much racism in England, I guess. I guess there was some, you know, racism against the Indians that were moving there. From India, because you know, uh, Britain uh, left its skid mark across the entire globe and and pretty much colonized everything. And but you know what? <clears throat> what we really need to do is we really need to blame America for everything that Britain did. That's that's what I would do. So, sometime during the eighties and nineties, it was a it was a bit of a movement here. Acorn popped up on the scene for a hot minute. I wouldn't do too much research on that joke because there's just not a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, I think that was like a 
upstart, but didn't really get a whole lot of funding because America really loved its freedom in that point, and we were pretty law and order. But we really started to see some of these uh, left-wing agitator radicals really start to grind out a new generation of mindless leftist zombies out of these liberal institutions. I, I try really hard not to use the word liberal too often because, see, I like to be a you know kind of a purist with the English language. I'm really not a big fan of swapping words out and identifying as this and all this. I really like the language. It's actually a really wonderful language. It's very adequate. The, the, there are so many words, and you just have to be a little bit articulate to make your point. But this new crop, this bumper crop of, you know, uh, window lickers, they started getting uh, amassed in certain areas of the country. And you, you, you saw that um, in the, yeah, I guess it was like the early to late 2000s, uh, um, Right before Occupy. Now, that's another gem. Occupy. Uh, I think that's the movement. They had one big shebang, um, Occupy Wall Street. Now, they pulled that one off without a hitch, huh? You know, nothing ever changes. When these, when these people, when they rebel and revolt, do all this other crap... 99% of the change is to the buildings they bombed or burned down or looted. But we really don't move forward in any pace that they're hoping for other than a natural pace. And this country has come a tremendously long way since uh, slavery and segregation. And it sure would be nice to see a little bit of an attaboy from the American public because uh, if you're looking for like instant satisfaction, then I demand that of you in your life. Tomorrow, I want you to fix every damn flaw you have. And if you don't, well shit, you're half a person. Not even worth considering, I spit on you. That's not the way things work. That's not how society does things. You know, America's got plenty of flaws, man. <laughs> plenty. So, they start congregating. Oh, I can talk on Occupy for a minute. So, Occupy basically has the same leftist standard of anti-capitalism. Um, big government. And uh, basically just really okay with being oppressed because, you know, it's, as long as the government agrees with what they're doing, then, you know, everything's cool, man. Uh, but uh, going back to Antifa, so in Portland and Seattle, these uh, knuckleheads have found a home there. And, and we have um, a whole lot of complacency going on. It's not really uh, my favorite song, but um, the people there 
seem to just sort of be okay with it. Um, and we see that today because over, over the last 25 years or so, the politicians in these states have become so complicit that you can't even have a police force that adequately responds to put down these looters, rioters, etc. That's how, that's how far we've come. And I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that we should be using the tactics of uh, maybe um, Orville Falvis or, or um, any of the great, you know, Dixiecrat leaders that uh, were oppressing blacks during segregation or before segregation and during the civil rights movement or after segregation and during the civil rights movement. Um, not a big, big fan of unleashing dogs and water cannons, etc. But, I mean, it wouldn't bother me <laughs> if it happened to Antifa. And, and, and I want to say why. Antifa is anti-American. They don't love this country. They don't. Uh, they don't have to love this country. They hate this country. It's the opposite. And and what it is is it's a perverse movement that's pervert. Excuse me, perverting our First Amendment to oppress and press their beliefs on anyone in their way. I, I, uh, oh God, don't be proud of me, but I actually read quite a bit of Mark Bray's, um, Antifa handbook last night. Well, truth be told, I watched it on YouTube, right? I had somebody else do it for me. A couple of things that uh, really stick out. Um, this is an anarchist cookbook of sorts. There are two main principles that probably are the most outstanding amongst anything that Antifa or Antifa sympathizers would want known. And that's... Um, they're not interested in your point of view. Okay. Civil discourse means zero to them. That is antithetical to how things are done in this form of government. It is, what, it is the opposite of what makes this government so great. Or if I... It is opposite of what makes this government, in theory, so great. Is that under republicanism, the minority has a voice. The minority has rights. So, that's anti-American. And, it's not... 
politically sound in our form of government. The, the other most outstanding thing that Antifa requires, if you will, is that it doesn't really want the government in charge of change. They relish the idea of creating them change the change themselves with violence. They want to handle the beeswax on their own. God, you know, I, I think about this kind of stuff a lot, and, and, and in the back of my head, I'm like. God, do they really want this in a nation with so many people with firearms training? Do they really want the police force out of the way? Because, God, come on, guys, between you and me, who the hell is going to stop us from picking them off? Like, that's that. What, can we just have one weekend of that? We can end all this now. So, only in America can we have groups that hate the United States so much that they're willing to use its Bill of Rights to attempt to usurp it or destroy it. Mm-mm, Aren't they incredible? And here we are, we have uh, the Democrat Party in this country that will not wholesale condone this political violence. Our nation was built on a revolution against an oppressive king And gave us the greatest legal document on the planet. And these geniuses all agree that that's not good enough. So my question to you is, at what point is this considered sedition? At what point is this considered treason? How long can this group hide behind the mask of First Amendment rights? Has anyone seen the damage in in dollars and cents amongst these cities that have been torched, looted, burned? I said that already. Because of George Floyd. Or name your black thug martyr. Just name it. Because the only one that I can think of that uh, even really deserved a damn protest was probably the Brianna story in Kentucky. And between you and me, I'm just not a big fan of no-knock warrants. 
Uh, she didn't deserve to die, even though I'm pretty sure she was a criminal herself. But that's another topic for another time. All these incidences cost the insurance companies billions upon billions of dollars. You can't have a company in any state that doesn't have insurance. When you get into an automobile accident and you are at fault, or sometimes not even you at fault, sometimes you might have had so many claims, they jack your rates. So when you have these commercial claims, you think they're going to give them a discount double check? They're going to jack these people's rates up. These people didn't do anything. These business owners didn't do anything. They didn't oppress anyone. They didn't keep you down. They're just regular people trying to make the most of their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But these shit stains. Have you seen the pictures of some of these people? These are not paragons of virtue. They're not pillars of society. They're freaks. And we're being told, basically, by the left, that these freaks are not only mostly peaceful, but what we should be paying very close attention to is that the left, by not standing up against anarchy, well, I reckon that they've identified and ends to a means by hammer and sickle they'll maintain power that should tell you that every single democrat in this country and I hate saying democrat republican libertarian because I'm not even a big, huge fan of my own party. I'm just sort of stuck. I'm stuck. Because there is nowhere else to go. The Libertarian Party is a joke. Full of pedophiles and freaks themselves who don't have a moral compass and who just have zero concrete platform. Or else... I'd totally be a part of that club. But until they pull their act together and run some party members that have real solutions, not just platitudes, I am stuck being disappointed with my Republican Party because it's the closest we have to constitutional conservatism left. But these Democrats... They are the burn it all down club. 
Now they'll have you believe that they're moderates and yada, yada, yada. That's not true. If you buy in part of the way, you buy in all the way. Because once you cast that vote, you put your support completely behind whomever has that D after their name. You can't dip your toe in the water and not get wet. So, Democrats, you're complicit. Irony clearly has no effect on you. Because this is the same type of lame-ass identity politics that y'all been playing since, like, 1860-something? You're not slavers anymore. Well, we took that from you. That pissed you off real good. But now you're totally bought in with the far left because you're scared. And you don't like America. If you don't like the country you live in, most other countries will accept American citizens. You can expatriate. Leave the nice country alone. But please, stop blowing our shit up. Stop bombing the cops. Stop stealing all the nice people's food in the store and the TVs and all this other crap. You opportunists, you anarchists. Only in America. So, there's a lot more to this. It's just, I really would need a lot more visual effect. Um, I am really grateful to anybody that listens to this show. Uh, I, I, I do, I do share the same concerns as a lot of you. I get angry. I want to act impulsively sometimes too, but like most good conservatives, I have a lot to lose. In my last episode, I got some feedback about what are the solutions? What do we do? Uh, The long and short answer is, uh, I don't know. See, our founders gave us one wonderful thing, and that's the ballot box. That is our tool to fight back politically. And being a conservative, it's sort of incumbent upon us to address these issues with nonviolence. Some of the greatest men in the history of this country have succeeded in making radical change through nonviolence. Are those days coming to an end? There's a litany of opinions about that. 
there is a mountain of questions to answer. I guess the only thing I can say is stay strapped. Always have your head on a swivel. You know, it's better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. So always, always have a piece. If you're not doing that part right now, if you're not armed, well, then you're neutered. You've got to fight your own war on your own turf, on your own street. You know, you can't, can't be impulsive and go start a war. Wars don't start that easy. These skirmishes, battles. But starting a wholesale um, ideological war in this country, I mean, just think of some of the basic problems. I mean, how do we identify our allies? We already know what the enemy looks like. That's not a problem. How do you identify your allies? We all look different. Some of us aren't you know, wearing red, white, and blue all the time. It's hard to know who your allies are. I'm not condoning warfare. I like to think I'm closer to preparing for it than I ever have in my entire life. And there's a part of me that kind of wants to see it all kick off before I fade away and I'm too old to you know, climb up a tree or something like that. And I certainly don't want my kids to have to deal with it. But now my kids are adults. So that's probably going to be on their back too. It is my eternal hope that with another four years of Donald John Trump, that between the Department of Justice and local judicial systems, this too will lead to the same thing that always occurs when these leftists rear their ugly heads. Failure on their part. Because this country is just simply never going to buy wholesale into Marxism or communism or anything that's anti-capitalist. Nobody's willing to accept that if you destroy the economy, that communism's really not going to last long now, is it? And so these anarchists, what they really miss the boat on is anarchy always, always is a very small blip on the radar right before totalitarianism whether it be oligarchism or whatever, you name it. Marxism, communism, Maoism. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's totalitarianism. There's always anarchy before totalitarianism. It's almost as if anarchy is the adverb for totalitarianism. So, what is their goal? And what is our goal? I hope it's not war. People got to protect themselves. So I'm going to continue to have faith in 
Well, it's not really faith, man. It's more hope that our justice system can be more proactive, that the media eventually becomes forced to report the, the truth. And that we continue to see the land of the free and the home of the brave. We'll see what happens. Until next time, I'm Chris Blakeman. This is Ben Speaks. Thank you very, very much. Don't forget to wipe.